0: The Trafficked podcast with Mariana Van Zeller is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Where are we heading?
1: We're we we headed to Figueroa. It's referred to as the track, the blade. It's, it's late
0: on a weeknight, you know, sort of a cold night. And I was in the car with Mickey Royal a former pimp, author of The Pimp Game, the instructional guide, taking us down this road um, and pointing out all the women. I mean, he didn't have to point out much because everywhere you looked, there were just uh, women out, you know, skimpily dressed, um, approaching cars. Several times they approached our car because they saw that we were you know, going slowly and looking at them.
1: She's working to the right. Oh, she's
0: wearing a bikini. Yeah. We actually saw a group of three women wearing, uh, all of them the same high heels. And he says that's a telltale sign that they're all working for the same pimp. Was that a thing where your girls that worked with you dressed the same?
1: Yeah, because was easy to shop for all of them at the same time.
0: It was so close to my house here in LA, and I had no idea that this was happening. You know, again, miles and miles of sex workers and sex trafficking uh, victims. So I've lived in Los Angeles for over 10 years, and I know Figueroa, but I've never seen any of this till tonight. That's why I call it the shadow world. And in fact, not far away was a man who was sitting in his car and who Mickey told us was probably their pimp because he was looking at them and sort of controlling every single uh, movement they made.
1: Okay, that's, uh, we got a go of girls, that's it.
0: Why? What happened?
1: Well, it's starting to get hot. What if we take a ride,
0: right, take one last trip? You don't want to do that. Really? No.
1: You want to call it a night right now, trust
0: me. I'm Mariana Van Zeller, the host of the new National Geographic TV series Trafficked. Each week on the series, I dive into a different black market and meet the people who make their living inside it. But the Trafficked podcast is a little different. Each week, I'll bring you the story of one person who made it big in the black market, how they lived the high life, and how it all came crashing down. After following the lives of pimps this week on the podcast, I want to peer into a different sex market, one that caters to the very wealthy. I want to talk to a madam
1: If you're going to run an illegal business, you got to drive the best cars, eat the best food, sleep with the best looking people, live in the best house, because sooner or later, you're going to get caught.
0: Heidi Fleiss made her first million after working in her industry for only four months at the age of 22. She made a name for herself all over the news, literally the Hollywood madam. Has any madam ever gotten as much press as Heidi Fleiss? The
1: so-called Hollywood madam is blasting the justice system. After I bailed out of jail, I remember sitting out on my pool, my fancy, whatever, $50,000 pool furniture, looking at this whole city and going, how did I mess up the best job on earth? But her business prowess didn't start
0: there. She got her start making money and making connections much earlier. So what was uh, your first successful business?
1: Well, I um, had a babysitting business when I was probably, I don't know, fourth, fifth grade. And then I, I guess a Thursday night came around and three different couples asked for me to babysit and I couldn't do it, but I still wanted the money. So I started farming out my friends and making money off of them too. You want the parents to be happy so they call you back like somebody who's really, you know, OCD about their house. You want to say, hey, my friend from the um, chess club or algebra group uh, or, you know, study group is available because right away they're going to be comfort with that kind of a person.
0: Oh, smart. By the time she was 13, she managed 20 babysitters in the neighborhood she grew up in, in the hills of Los Feliz, a beautiful enclave of Los Angeles. Tell me about your childhood. What was it like?
1: Uh, I had a great childhood. I spent summers in Kauai. I skied winters in Sun Valley, Idaho. Uh, My parents gave me nothing but love. I had troubles in school. And I was so humiliated by that, that I realized I was not gonna to go to college, even though my parents are have degrees from Berkeley and UCLA and stuff. Um, my father's a famous pediatrician in Los Angeles, California. I realized I'm gonna to have to find a way on my own. In seventh grade, I was paying a girl $20 ahead of me to copy off her exam every week, every Friday. I was an avid reader, though I read uh, *The Grapes of Wrath* by seventh grade, and I was a city chess champion. You were a chess champion? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. How old were you? Thirteen and fourteen for all Los Angeles. Wow. Were, were your parents super proud? Yes, but that made it, it made that and the school think that I was gifted or really smart, but I'm not. I couldn't understand. I don't know what a predicate and a verb and I just couldn't understand the specifics about education. I think my brain just developed slowly. I was always looking for the shortcuts and taking those shortcuts, which, of course, turned out to be long cuts. You know,
0: one of Heidi's shortcuts played out like a dream sequence in a teen movie. The year was 1981.
1: My parents, they said, if I got straight A's that I could get any car I wanted. So naturally I forged the port car, report card and I had them buy me a, a Jeep and I never went to school again. <laughs> and then- Is that right? You never went back? Oh, never. Probably, I probably, I, I say that I um, have like a, you know, a little bit of junior college, but I don't. I barely have a 10th grade. I think only a few weeks of 10th grade I attended.
0: Did your parents not want to take the car away when they found out that you had- forced- Oh, they
1: didn't find out, but I found out it was too late.
0: By that point, Heidi was hooked on her small-time hustling.
1: I started selling flowers um, for some woman named Judith or something. So it was a show at the Greek theater and they sent me there with a bucket of flowers.
0: Heidi was supposed to sell these flowers to adoring fans so they could shower the singer
1: with them. You know, very 80s. And I sold all my flowers. next day I come back and I said, Judith, we have to get more flowers. They, women were throwing their panties on the stage. They were screaming, they were crying. It was some guy named Julio Iglesias. I'd never heard of him back then, <laughs> but they just He's went- a legend. Yeah, but I was a kid. I didn't know I didn't know. I couldn't believe my flowers were just gone. Gina says, no, the amount we're selling is fine. So I've had someone take me to downtown LA at four in the morning flower mart, bought as many roses as I could, and then kept the extra money. So I just kind of did little hustles, little hustles like that.
0: Did your parents appreciate that you had a business mind from such an early age, you think?
1: I wouldn't share that with them. I pretend that I was in school and, you know, I would tell tell them as little as possible. In fact, I was 15 when they divorced and I was so glad they were getting a divorce because it meant more freedoms.
0: (laughs) She got her hands around that freedom. And she ran with it. So uh, I've never asked this of an interviewee, but I'm going to ask you if you don't mind. But do you remember the day you lost your virginity?
1: I do remember that. And um, uh, it was so painful. I thought, if this is what sex is, I'm never doing it again. <laughs> and I was oh, I was almost 18, believe it or not. And sex, I'm no virgin. I've been with guys, girls. I've done guys, everything from 15 to 90. I slept with a guy who, who wrote on the Queen Mary when it, I only know Queen Mary as an attraction. I slept with a guy. He told me he wrote on it as a passenger. I couldn't believe that. <laughs> and I had an older boyfriend in his 60s when I was 18. And I did love him, although he did cheat on me all the time and stuff.
0: This boyfriend, a big shot businessman, was really important to Heidi. Not just as a romantic relationship, but as sort of a guide into the world he was a part of. This guy's a playboy. Big
1: time. His name was Bernie Cornfeld.
0: Heidi traveled with Bernie around the world. She's still basically a teenager, remember, starting to live amongst the fabulously wealthy and the very, very famous.
1: His house on Lake Geneva, Napoleon built for Josephine. He was just a, a high flyer. Like one time, a London share called up and said she needed a place to stay. Uh, could she stay at his place? And she showed up with like 52 pieces of luggage. So he just bought a row house for her luggage. So he. I learned a lot of, of stuff from my life, life with him a lot. He was the smartest I ever met. I knew he's not going to marry me, so I tried to learn as much as I could. What did you learn? Well, the role women play in and men and, mo- and money.
0: Some other things she learned. What life was like for very wealthy men, you know, how to mingle with the rich, how to fit in
1: with them, how to keep them as friends. I met a, a lot of rich men, which later on as a madam, those men were comfortable dealing with me because they knew me from him and when I was young.
0: In the scene with all these people, there was one name that Heidi kept hearing again and again.
1: Alex, Madam Alex. Madam Alex, who was a reigning uh, madam in Beverly Hills in LA for many years. Like, we, uh, spring break, Palm Springs, the Aquateo Lodge, And there'd always be, you know, everyone's laying out, but a group of girls, you know, who had a little bit better jewelry, a little bit better towels, a little bit better tan, a little bit better everything, and they'd whisper, oh, they work for Alex. Those are Alex's girls. (sighs) There was a nightclub in LA called Helena's, which Jack Nicholson owned with his um, assistant. I was there and some director, TV director guy, started talking to me, asked me to dance. So I went to watch the football game with him. I was at his house and the phone rang and it was, it was like, it's it's Alex. And I was like, oh my God, is that the Alex? He was like, do you want to meet her? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I want to meet her. So uh, he took me to her house to meet her, but I was expecting like the TV madam, you know, like a, a Jacqueline Bisset or a, someone that's a uh, glamorous and she looked like she was kind of a balding short Filipino lady. Sharpest tongue on earth. Why did you want to meet her so badly? I don't know. Why not? Look at those girls and the life they were living. What was going on? What You know, look how easy. Come on, it's intriguing, all this fancy stuff. It wasn't, I was a hustler, basically. I didn't know where I was going to in this world or my life.
0: But life led her to this oversized sofa, sitting face to face with Madame Alex herself. Sprinkled around the room were Faber-J eggs, a collection of Lalique crystal, and glittering Judith Lieber purses. Heidi and Alex
1: clicked. I became tight with her. I would, helped her get, I had credit cards, get her uh, plane tickets, start running her business.
0: Heidi says she started to work for Madam Alex, mainly as sort of a secretary.
1: I loved her. I got along really well with her. She sent me on a couple tricks. Do you remember what it was like the first time that you had Sex for money. Yeah, I do. I do. I was so nervous. I was so nervous because I felt like I wasn't pretty enough like the other other girls. And I met some she sent me to see some really cool guy at the back then. It was still Beverly Wilshire and not the Four Seasons. And um, I was there for about an hour. I think he got five thousand dollars and it was great. <laughs> Excuse my language.
0: Did you think then, when you made that money and you were so excited, did you think, okay, this is it, I want to be a call girl?
1: You got to know your strengths as weaknesses. I'm not pretty like those girls. So I've seen photos of you at that age and you were stunning. Uh, I keep saying you weren't
0: pretty and uh, that was not,
1: but you were stunning. Not like the other ones. (laughs) I didn't feel, have confidence sexually. But the part that Heidi was into
0: was the business. How the gears turned and how to get them to turn more smoothly. And Heidi noticed something that Madame Alex's gears were slowing down.
1: I brought in a ton of my friends because her ship was sinking, basically, when I came.
0: Heidi says that Madame Alex wasn't well-organized and that she wasn't always fair to the women who worked for her. You know, some of these women, Heidi had brought in herself. So it wasn't long before Heidi broke ties and went out on her own.
1: It was really easy. When I went on my own, I remember calling my ex-boyfriend, Bernie Kornfeld, and saying, like, hey, next time this year is in town, have him call me. And the guy called me, like, at the end of that week. I made a ton of money, everyone was happy, and then it just snowballed. The rest, you know, was great. Business was booming, but there was still a learning curve. I remember in the beginning, I sent this one girl, really beautiful, she's like an elite model, to some guy and he bought her a new Porsche and she sent me a fruit basket for a thank you. Fruit basket. So after that, I was so hardcore about my money and my share, so hardcore. I'm like a fruit basket and she's getting a Porsche. How did you find women to work for you? They came to me in droves because in LA, girls want to meet rich guys. They don't know how. And um, guys want young, hot girls.
0: So I read somewhere that you had somebody, you had people actually working for you, recruiting, going out on the streets and looking for pretty girls to recruit.
1: Well, to work people you? knew if you brought me someone that I used back then, I'd give, you know, between one and $500 or something. If you So if you brought me a pretty girl, everyone got a finder's fee.
0: Tell me the ages of these girls working for you. Were they, did you ever have any
1: minors? No, of course not. These are adults making adult decisions and... If money never changed hands, it would not have been illegal. And I, back then I was the match, I was the grinder, I was the Tinder, I did all of it. And these are adults doing adult things. I'm not into degrading women or humiliating people or... Did you
0: ever feel like perhaps you were sort of preying on these women's, on these girls' dreams?
1: I don't feel like I was preying on them. I think that it was empowering. They, If they're on a trip, they don't have to have sex with the person. If they're uncomfortable or don't feel right about anything, they don't have to be there. How is that degrading?
0: Yeah, I think the idea is that it's something so intimate. Sex is something so intimate
1: that doing it for money. Prostitution's illegal. You're not allowed to charge for sex. If we want to charge, we should be able to charge. Men guys get their laws off our body, you know? I mean, all these hypocrites, it's disgusting. What
0: kind of advice did you give the the women that were working for you?
1: Make them call you back your point is so they call you back make them want you make that connection get in their head because if you get in a guy's head you get everything
0: How did it all work? I'm so curious about, how did you arrange the dates? I took
1: 40% of everything, even tips. Every madam and pimp would do it differently. And I think I came in and I, I just cornered that market, the high-end market right away, just from common sense of making things as easy as possible for the client. Taking care of the you know flight tickets, limos, this, so all they had to do is tell me where and when, just make it really easy for them. And I never would solicit a call and say, "Hey, I got these two hot new girls with double Ds." None of I didn't do that. Let them call. The one thing that
0: everybody was talking about was the, the the infamous black book, which in your case, I heard, it was actually a
1: a red Gucci planner. Is that right? Yeah. How do you know all this? I don't know why, but back then, I always used a, a Gucci day planner. That's what I used. And uh, so yours was filled
0: with the names of clients. Yeah, I'm assuming. And girls, mine was gold. (laughs) One client whose name we definitely know was actor Charlie
1: Sheen. I would say, Charlie, just stop promising this, that you love all of them, because then they believe it, (laughs) you know, because the girls would love Charlie back then. I mean, he was young and muscular and fun, and every girl wanted to marry him.
0: (laughs) So he was one of your biggest clients, right? No.
1: Like, he could not have been my biggest client because I made so much money, and uh, celebrities are, are cheap. you they want everything for free because they're famous. Like Gianni Annanelli's nickname was sack of cash. Cause he would always pay $50,000 in a little brown bag. <laughs> and for our listeners who don't know who he is, who was he? He owned Ferrari, controlled the li- lira, Fiat. Um, Jackie O was in love with him. He's considered like Vanity Fair, the classiest man of all time.
0: <laughs> and he was one of your clients?
1: And look at like Harry Packer, the wealthiest guy in Australia. Th- that's the level, it's not Charlie Sheen. <laughs> it, it's it's the, the real money came from those type of people. What part of it was fun? What did you like about it? Uh, first, you have a lot of friends. A whole, I had a lot of friends and the social part of it. Got to do whatever I wanted with my life. I wasn't in a cubicle. I wasn't working for somebody else. I own three homes <laughs> and L.A. My house I purchased from the actor Michael Douglas. It was in real Beverly Hills overlooking the city. Um, I had the nicest cars. I, I had everything. How much money were you making at the peak of your career? It, it really depends because I had girls out every night. $2,000 a night and just minimum 10 girls out every single night. My cut would be 40%. So you're making 8000 a night every night. So it's you know, I made a lot of money. Yeah, that's very, very good money. Yeah, and that that's the low, low, low end. My clients, I had great relationships with them. Um, one Christmas, one of my clients sent me a pallet, entire pallet with bars of silver, bricks. They're bricks. How cool is that? Uh, it being, what it, did you do with the silver? I gave him away as gifts, like an idiot, use them as doorstops. <laughs> I think I gave the last one away about a year ago. If you're going to run an illegal business, you got to drive the best cars, eat the best food, sleep with the best looking people, live in the best house, because sooner or later, you're going to get caught.
0: Heidi Fleiss was dominating the high-end call girl industry and acting like it. Her rise to prominence was more of a whirlwind. And swept up in the high life, she made a few mistakes— she was also making some people very unhappy, her competitors.
1: It's amazing I lasted as long as I did. I come along, I'm 20 years old, and I just cornered the market. And I made so many enemies. They all hated me. And they were all had connections with law enforcement and whatnot. So you were being investigated by law enforcement at the time? They're all trying to bring me down, trying to tap my phones, steal my phone book, I just had this team of people working against me all the time. I'm gonna get her. I'm gonna get Heidi in her house on the hill, F- her. People say steal business. Nobody steals anyone's business. If you go um, say to a yoga class, you're going and then you meet a, a, a different instructor, a better class, you go to the better one. It was just, I just did my thing and I did it better than anyone or I wouldn't be Heidi Flies. I mean, may It lasted six months because of what I was up against.
0: Her list of enemies grew and grew. Competitors leaked information to the cops, and her phone was tapped. But the real turning point for Heidi and her business came in the form of a sting operation and bad, bad judgment.
1: I was an idiot. I fell for this cop. I should have known it was a cop.
0: The cop came disguised as a Japanese businessman who was in town looking at real estate.
1: He rented a Ferrari. He went with a real estate agent looking at $2 million properties. I met with him at the Beverly Hilton, but back then that was like not a fancy hotel, which should have been a clue right then. But then, um, and then after we met, I, I, he said, uh, you know, can you send me a girl? And I'm like, sure, send me, what's your dream girl? Can you describe some girl He's like long legs, short, or whatever, and I sent him his dream girl.
0: So she arranged for a long-legged, short-haired woman to meet him at his hotel.
1: The girl came back the next day and she said, Heidi, everything was great. He wants to see um, four more people tomorrow and wants like two eight balls of Coke or something. And I was like, two eight balls of Coke or whatever he wanted, it was a large amount. I'm like, why does he want all those drugs?
0: There was a quick second when she thought that maybe this guy was law enforcement.
1: But then the thought passed. But the girl, the first night, I figured it was fine because he would have arrested her right then, I thought. Four
0: women went off to his hotel room, along with the cocaine, because they were building their case against you. Yeah. Yeah. And tell me about the day of the bust. What was that like?
1: It was just a normal, beautiful day at my home. at the Hollywood Madam's home of girls hanging out by the pool. It was summertime. We were having a great time. We were laying out by my pool. And this girl goes, why are their helicopters keep going around? I'm like, you idiot. Those are rich people looking for property. <laughs> I think I was or some girls hanging out the trash. And then they just came from everywhere. All these different task force. So they just came like all up the hill from everywhere, er- everywhere. The cops. Yeah, every direction.
0: Did you know immediately they were coming for you?
1: Yeah. I knew. Yeah, I knew. How many cops? Oh, a lot. Because it's a case like this everyone wants to see. Come on, it's a Hollywood madam. It's so much more exciting than some murder or crime or domestic violence. It's an exciting case. It was the FBI and then all the local, different, like Beverly Hills, West Hollywood, LAPD. And that was that handcuffed me, and they left my house with my Gucci books. (laughs) What's gonna happen to her? I believe she is going to have to do a little jail time. Flights will find out her fate on federal tax evasion charges December 12th. I was so down that I made that mistake, because I am smarter than that, and I should have known better. And I always thought I would get in trouble one day, but big deal, it's sex, consensual sex. It's not, you know, it's not um, running guns to Cuba these are adults. Do you think it can be, really be a victimless crime, what you did? These girls, if they didn't like it, if they were uncomfortable, they could leave. No one was a captive prisoner. Sex trafficking is when you're forced to do it and have no other choice, or you don't know better. Those are what the law should protect.
0: Sex trafficking is defined as sex sold under force, fraud, or coercion. It's often argued, though, that the willing participation in the sale of sex is not abuse. It's sex work. Every pimp I spoke with for the TV episode insisted that the women they employed could walk away at any time, that it was their choice. But often it's not that simple, especially when women don't have other viable options for income. And any time a pimp or boss is collecting a percentage of the profits, things get complicated.
1: The laws, who are they really protecting? The laws are really supposed to protect people that need it, like the the ones who are forced into prostitution, the people that are being trafficked and exploited. It's a difference when somebody wants to do it and somebody doesn't want to do it. I think Will isn't as
0: black and white as that. I've done a lot of documentaries on sex trafficking and spent a lot of time with sex trafficking victims and also talking to sex traffickers themselves. And you know, I've spoken to victims who said that they were doing it willingly. They started working for these men willingly. And you have these men who come and see, you know, and say, we we promise you this and this and you have to have sex with me. It's at the end of the day, it's a little bit about exploitation, right?
1: Yes. And okay, you're in a bad situation and you don't know what you're doing. That's the illegal part and the disgusting part and the laws are need to, they need help. I'm a feminist, believe it or not and we should be allowed to do whatever we want. And I think living my life with this whole rules are made up has not probably been the best idea, but I'm also, I, I'm just not like a punctilious type person and I never will be.
0: Heidi didn't agree with the laws in place, but there were still laws. The day you were arrested, how did you feel?
1: Oh, come on. How could I felt any, I was so down on myself. I was so low such a low feeling. I was really I was really mad at myself for being so stupid. It was a stupid mistake and it was greed and drugs and not thinking clearly and that's all. After I bailed out of jail, I remember sitting out on my pool, my fancy whatever $50,000 pool furniture, looking at this whole city and going how did I mess up the best job on earth?
0: Heidi was arrested for multiple state charges, including five counts of attempted pandering. If she was found guilty, Heidi could have been sentenced to seven years
1: or more. I'm 26 years old. i am come out of my bedroom. Prince is dancing in my living room. Things like that, Jack Nicholson knocking on my window. And to be thinking you're going to jail for seven years, that's eternity back then. That was eternity. I felt like I was looking at a life sentence, that my life was over. Seven years was this, and for consensual sex.
0: It wasn't the state case that actually landed Heidi in prison. Her state conviction got overturned. The jury was found to have been horse trading votes, swapping guilty verdicts on her pandering charge for not guilty on her drug charge. But that didn't mean she was entirely free. She was also being tried in federal court for conspiracy, income tax evasion, and money laundering. That case involved her business, and it also involved her father.
1: I called him up. I said, hey, Dad, I'm going to take, I guess, a $2 million loan out in your name. So I had him sign just a blank bank application form, a blank form, just a signature, And I figured out how to get that loan.
0: (laughs) And what were you doing with that loan? You were laundering money? No, I bought my house. But your dad was arrested.
1: I got my dad arrested. Are you kidding me? I mean, that broke my heart. That going after my dad was the hardest part. It was the hardest part of the whole thing. My dad never yelled at me, never scolded me, never a harsh word. Only love and support. And I said, Dad, do whatever you can to save yourself don't worry about me. I'll be fine no matter what.
0: Her father was sentenced to three years of probation for conspiring to hide the profits from Heidi's call girl business. But Heidi says she feels like she was completely responsible. In the end, it was that federal case that led to Heidi's incarceration for 20 months in Dublin, California.
1: But It wouldn't matter how much money I meant, that once the federal government gets a hold of you, you have nothing, you don't even have socks.
0: What did you do when you left prison?
1: Well, I got out at the millennium, right at the millennium. So the whole internet boom just kind of happened and it was new to me. And I was really scared about what my, I have no skills and you know, what am I gonna do for the rest of my life and whatnot.
0: Just as you might imagine, Heidi started getting requests to set up trips to arrange dates, you know, the business of the Hollywood madam.
1: And she was offered a lot of money. So I just changed my phone number because it's just was so it's too tempting to go right back into it.
0: So Heidi decided to try the legal sex business in Nevada.
1: I just rented some house, next door was some like little single a uh, single-wide trailer. I did not know it was a former bedridden madam. <laughs> who used to run the Tropicana Hotel when they had an exotic bird show. Heidi's
0: attempts at getting into the brothel business fizzled out, but her friendship with her neighbor did not.
1: And one day, she's bedridden in her bed, I said, there was a scarlet macaw in a cage. I said, Marianne, this red bird here? She says, yeah. Uh, Dalton? And I said, yeah, Dalton. She says, I go, when's the last time he's been out of his cage? I thought she might say a few weeks. I don't know, 18, 20 years? Right then, my heart, with my years in prison, I just, that bird, no, he had my heart right then. Dalton, it's just you and me, Dalty, you and me, Dalty. I wanted him out of that cage. Little by little, found out more and more and realized that these birds go through is just awful. They're born in that cage and die in that cage.
0: When Marianne, that bedridden madam, died, she had one final request. She asked Heidi to take care of her birds. And Heidi took them in, and she says it totally changed her life. She's even rescued more birds since. How many
1: birds do you have? There's over 40 and they're all free. There needs to be a place, this is my ultimate goal, where people can come and see them be free so they can understand, just create a place where they can live out free. And I feel like I say to these birds, I'm sorry, guys. I'm not that likable. I'm a terrible spokesperson to be leading this charge and doing this. I'm not, if it was somebody who is more likable, more presentable or something, they'd have, I feel like.
0: Oh, I disagree with that. I think it's all about passion. Okay, good. And I think you
1: have that in droves. Thank you. I don't know. Maybe I am crazy with the birds or whatever, but I think it's it's important. And it is important. And everybody should be aware of it. It's much more important than rich people having sex.
0: (laughs) Next time on The Trafficked Podcast with Mariana Van Zeller. Money, 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 money. Money, everyone was paid off. Everyone was paid off. J.C. Perez got into the dangerous world of drug smuggling just when cocaine got big. The early 1980s in Miami, Florida. Half of those missing people in the Bermuda Triangle are drug runs gone bad. He trafficked the cocaine by aircraft and piloted drug runs for one of the biggest bosses in the business. I don't consider myself the, the cocaine cowboy. I know everything about it. I worked within it. But the titles... No, bro, I'm like my father. Give me the money. You can keep the title. Next time on The Traffic Podcast. The Traffic Podcast with Mariana Van Zeller is a companion to the National Geographic TV series Trafficked and is produced for Nat Geo by Muck Media. Margaret Catcher is lead producer. Ted Woods is executive producer and audio engineer. Abby Spears is associate producer. And Paula Benson is line producer. Production assistance by Scott Kirk. Original music by Jeff Morrow. The Traffic TV series is available now on National Geographic, and new episodes air Wednesdays. Executive producers for Nat Geo are the awesome Chris Alberts, the amazing Bengt Anderson, and the fabulous Matt Renner. And from Muck Media, executive producers Jeff Blunkett, Darren Foster, and me, Mariana Van Zeller. Special thanks to Zoe Har, Todd Herman, Vilma Melinaris, and Heidi Fleiss. If you like this podcast, subscribe and tell your friends all about it. See you next time in The Underground. Oh, shit. I wasn't recording. Just kidding.